Which way do you, Lord? Which way do you? Which way do you, Lord? Which way do you? Which way do you, Lord? Which way do you? Great to be with you on this holiday weekend. Special welcome to you if you're new or relatively new around here. We would love to meet you, and we have a gift just for you. If you're here on our campus, we invite you to our Welcome Center. It's on the concourse. You can visit that right after the message today. Or if you are online, text the word WELCOME to 88877. We'd love to send you that gift. But we're honored to have you, whether you're online or here on campus, for the second week of our summer message series. Our message series is called Life, and we're talking all about our daily choices and looking at them through the lens of the seven deadly sins. Sounds a little intimidating, but don't worry. Let me reassure you, we made three promises last week for this message series. Promise number one, we cast no guilt. You will not be made to feel guilty during this series. Promise number two, you will be challenged. That's the nature of talking about sin. And promise number three, God's grace is bigger than our sin. That's where any discussion like this should begin. So we started with those three promises and then we defined sin as missing the mark or failing to reach the goal. And our goal as human beings is to honor God and honor people. That's what we were made for. And until Adam and Eve committed that original sin, that's what we were doing. But that original sin had all sorts of consequences that have been passed down to us. All is not lost, however, because the cross that Jesus carried offers us hope of redemption and encourages us to pursue freedom from our sins. So for every one of the seven deadly sins, there is a corresponding virtue. And each day we get that choice between vice and virtue, good or bad, right or wrong. Life is made up of that series of choices. So today, in honor of it being the 4th of July, we're giving you a two-for-one deal. You get two sins today, not just one. We're going to be talking about two sins, two virtues. So the choice before us today is between sloth or diligence, gluttony or temperance. Now, if I asked all of the sloths and gluttons, just go ahead and raise your hand. I'm guessing not a lot of hands would go up. Oh, a few hands today actually went up. But we don't typically think of ourselves this way. When we think of sloth, or some say sloth, you might think of this, right? We think of this nice furry little animal, and maybe that's part of the challenge with these sins. They don't seem that bad. We joke about gluttony from time to time, and if we are thinking of it, it's probably not real seriously or deeply. And here's the other problem. These are sins of degree. So there is a point where we go from having a lazy day to being slothful. So when does our relaxation and replenishment cross over? There's a point where our eating goes beyond nutrition and enjoyment into excess. When do we cross that line? And why? Why are we talking about these two sins at the same time? I want to propose that there is something that unites these two deadly sins, and it has to do with their source and with our response. 
So we'll get to that, but first, let's just get a working definition for both. In popular usage, gluttony means eating to excess, but in devotional and theological thought, it encompasses a lot more than that. Gluttony has to do with appetite. We're gluttonous when our appetite goes unchecked. So even if it's for a good thing, when we start to have too much of it, and we develop that unhealthy appetite. It can be for work, gaming, food, cars, homes, clothes, shoes, luxuries. All of those can be good things, or they can be things that we start to over-consume. And there's a point where our appetite for these things needs to be checked. But I don't pretend to stand up here and tell you where that point is. There's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous that for some people, one sip of alcohol is at the same time too much and never enough. And that gets to the heart of gluttony. Everybody is different. So the trick is to be master of what we consume rather than be subordinate to it, rather than be its servant. We become worshipers of work, food, alcohol, gaming, whatever it is, when we can't help ourselves anymore. So that's what we want to avoid with gluttony. Meanwhile, sloth in the American sense means physical laziness, but that's not exactly what we're talking about when we say it's a deadly sin. Sloth does not equal sloppiness or being a slob. It doesn't just equal laziness. The sin of sloth involves two things, apathy and despair that leads to inaction, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Sloth is more despondency or hopelessness than it is laziness. Judas Iscariot is a good example of sloth. He betrays Jesus for a few gold coins, and then he has a choice. He can repent of his sin, he can return to the goodness of God, or he can descend into despair and fall into sloth. And Judas can't escape his guilt. He tragically ends up taking his life instead of allowing God's mercy to heal his guilty heart. Now, that's a pretty extreme example of sloth. It does not mean to be that extreme. Even someone with strong spiritual, moral convictions who has a lot of meaning and purpose in their life, they can fall into moral burnout. They can be paralyzed by the immense pain of the world, and they can stop trying to help. Sloth replaces trust in God's providence with despair at the world's fallenness. The problem with gluttony and with sloth is that we give them a place of prominence in our hearts and minds that should belong to God. We fill the uncomfortable spaces in our lives with things, with things until we cross the line into it being a deadly sin. And it may not even be a conscious choice. Gluttony and sloth both point to our pursuit of comfort. We don't have to struggle if we don't want to. We have all of the material goods that we could want. More than any other time in history, right now, we live in a time of abundance and excess, and that feeds our appetite. So let me share an example that I experienced recently. One evening last month, I was sitting on my couch. It was around 9 o'clock in the evening, and it was a weeknight. I usually like to go to bed at 1030 and I have a whole routine before I go to bed at night. I like to set out my clothes for the next morning. I like to pray before I go to, to bed. And I like to be ready to go get up and go to the gym. So this particular night around 9 o'clock, I started playing a game on my phone while I was watching TV. There's nothing wrong with that. And then I got on a roll in the game. And the next hour went by pretty quickly. Before I knew it, it was 10 o'clock. And I should have put the game down. But 
I didn't. I couldn't. I'd earned a free hour with unlimited lives. You wouldn't put it down either, right? If I could just finish the level, I was going to get 10,000 coins. It was only going to be a few more minutes, but then a few more minutes turned into 30, 45. I don't know. I lost track at some point. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit, actually, what game I was playing. Maybe I'll work up the courage to tell you later. But when I finally got to a stopping point in the game, it was, it was too late to worry about anything else. So I skipped prayer, didn't brush my teeth, I didn't set the alarm, I certainly didn't get up and go to the gym the next morning. Now all of this seems inconsequential. It's one night, one time skipping prayer, one time missing the gym. But that's exactly why these sins are deadly. They sneak up on us and we convince ourselves they aren't that bad. One time doesn't mean that much. It's not a habit. But the descent into losing control can come quickly. I'm honestly not sure if what I did was sloth or gluttony. It seems from like not being able to stop playing the game, maybe that was gluttony. But then I decided I didn't have time to pray, to read scripture, talk to my maker. And that seems like sloth. There's something about my experience that speaks to how these sins are alike. We'll get to that. First, though, I want us to look at a brief passage from the book of Genesis. We started last week by talking about the creation story and the fall. Genesis, after that, it seems kind of like a big genealogy. It's really a story of God interacting with particular people along the way. There was Noah and the ark, Abraham and the covenant, and then Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son named Isaac. And we're going to follow the story of, of Isaac and his wife Rebekah's twin sons Esau and Jacob. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis 25. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. His wife Rebekah became pregnant. When the time of her delivery came, there were twins in her womb. Like I said, it's a two-for-one deal today. We got twins, and you know that there's going to be some sibling rivalry. The first to emerge was reddish, and his whole body was like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Next, his brother came out, gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now, if you read the book of Genesis, there are some interesting stories of childbirth. We don't need to get into a lot of the details here, because in this case, they are literally a little hairy. So... Two things to remember from this passage. One, Esau is the firstborn. That's going to be very important. He has special rights and privileges because of that. And two, Jacob, both in this moment and in the future, is going to be right on his heels. So hold those in your mind as we fast forward to when they're adults. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, let me gulp down some of that red stuff. I am famished. That is why he was called Edom. I love that he, this is the translation. I didn't add red stuff. That's what he asks for. Give me some of that. I don't even know what it is. I just am hungry. Give me some of that red stuff. It could have been a Slurpee for all we know. So he's asking him, and he's so single-minded, he doesn't even care what it is. And Jacob is going to seize on this opportunity. But Jacob replied, first, sell me your right as firstborn. Look, said Esau, I'm on the point of dying. What good is the right as firstborn to me? He's so single-minded. Now, I, I don't know what the situation was, but my guess, and that's a pretty good guess, 
is he was not on the point of death. He's a little hungry, maybe hangry in this moment. But he's so single-minded that he is giving up something tremendously important. He has a double inheritance as the firstborn and a special blessing from his father Isaac. He's willing to let go of all of that. So Jacob makes him commit. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he sold Jacob his right as firstborn under oath. Jacob then gave him some bread and the lentil stew, and Esau ate, drank, got up, and went his way. So Esau treated his right as firstborn with disdain. The key is that line, with disdain. So all we had at the start of the story was a guy coming home, wanting some lunch. Who wouldn't be hungry after work, right? But he quickly drives it to the point that the sin becomes deadly. It's not harmless anymore. Esau's choices have real consequences. This is sloth. It's treating God's blessing, the opportunities that we have in front of us with disdain. He could have made himself some soup. He could have hunted an animal. He could have gone out and picked some berries or something to eat. Instead, he was apathetic. He was single-minded. He was lazy. And he paid this incredibly steep price for some lentil soup. It's not even crab soup. So my story, the story of Esau and Jacob, they show us how these harmless moments can really lead to terrible choices. And the sins are deadly in part because they sneak up on us, like a predator would sneak up on us. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, the enemy is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I've hinted at why we paired these two sins together, but I haven't said it exactly. So here's what unites these deadly sins. They aren't physical problems. They're mental ones. We typically think of laziness, overconsumption as problems with our bodies, but the origin of them is our missteps in the mind. So here's an easy way to think about it. Sloth is doing less in response to something. Gluttony is doing something more. Less, more, sounds simple enough. When we have any sort of discomfort, our thoughts, our situation, our circumstances, or just an unwillingness to engage in things that are tough or meaningful, we respond to that discomfort in some way. And if our go-to is to do nothing, to be apathetic and listless, well, we probably tend toward sloth. And if our automatic response is to overindulge in something, in gaming, in work, food, drink, then we probably tend toward gluttony. And you probably tend toward one more than the other. And maybe it's some of both. The deadly sins are not mutually exclusive, but they are dangerous. So on the other side of gluttony and sloth, on the other side of sin is that old unwelcome friend, regret. When we lose self-control like I did, like Esau did, like we all have at times in our life, well, we look upon that experience with regret. Maybe it's a few minutes after it happens. Maybe it is years into the future. But that feeling of regret and guilt is probably familiar for each and every one of us. My hope is that regret doesn't drive us to further sloth or indifference, 
but it drives us to amend our life. We're telling ourselves a story all the time, the internal story that is happening in our hearts. It largely drives our mood. It drives our direction. And so I want us to make a commitment together to tell a better story. Let's tell a story that beats regret to the punch because we recognize we're always perpetually in the process of moving from vice to virtue. We introduced last week the idea that every deadly sin has an opposite virtue, that instead of sloth and gluttony, we can instead move toward temperance. We can move toward diligence. Who wouldn't want that movement in their lives to move to temperateness and diligentness? So here's my invite for you today. Preempt the descent into these sins by planning ahead by planning to be temperate, by planning to be diligent, we give ourselves limits and a direction before we're in the moment of temptation. If you're an overworker, mark that time that you're gonna be home to have dinner with your family. If you're an oversleeper, set out your gym clothes, set multiple alarms, get yourself ready for the next morning, the night before. If you're an overgamer like me, set a timer on your phone and when it goes off, set it down. If sloth is the struggle, find a way to connect with others, to get outside of yourself. Write someone a letter, sign up to serve at a missions project, visit a family member who needs some face time with you. To fight for virtue, we need to plan for those moments of temptation. And remember, the sins of sloth and gluttony, they begin in the mind, not in the body. If we want to be more temperate and more diligent, we have to practice. So. I invite you this week to think of one way you can fight against sloth or gluttony. Instead, seek diligence and temperance. Reflect on it, write it down, look for opportunities to practice it. And one last thing, be generous with yourself. You won't be perfect, but that's not the goal. We want progress over perfection. Positive momentum is what we're after. So my goal this week is to put down my game play for no more than 30 minutes a night. When that timer goes off, to set it down, I'll just admit it, I can't play Property Brothers after that 30 minutes is up. So that's my goal for this week. What's yours? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that you give us to move, to move in our lives perpetually from vice to virtue that we have that hope to move from gluttony to temperance, from sloth to diligence because of your help, your grace, your mercy, your goodness. We know that you lead us, you inspire us, you make all things possible, and that you can make that movement possible this week. As in your name we pray, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.